um, and, and promise it or anything, right? Someone's but, um, pouring a drink or peeing right now. I was <laughs> thinking the same um, thing. Le- legit, I thought it was okay, le- Guys, no joke. That was me actually pouring some water into a cup. I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> I was pouring water. I can't believe you guys picked that up. Oh my god. This is a Kaiju Transmission <laughs> podcast. Uh, I am Kyle Bird. I am joined by a gaggle of uh, laughing hyenas. Well, I guess a gaggle is geese. I don't know what you call hyenas. Um, yes, with me is my co-host. Introduce Matt. yourself, sir. Hey, I'm Matt. Hi. Oh, all right. Uh, also with us, uh, we have a guest host, Tom. What's up? <laughs> And uh, our two guests, who I hope aren't sniffing glue. Um, oh, now he tells us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have uh, John DeSantis. Who, hey, guys, what's up? Yes, hot off of uh, um, the Kaiju Crescendo uh, concert at G-Fest. And... Um, Akira Ifukube's biographer uh, at akiraifukube.org, Eric Hominick. Say hello. What's up? Um, yeah, and we uh, are going to kind of ask these guys a bunch of questions uh, about the concert and uh, working with Michiro Oshima and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, gentlemen, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Uh, I think we'll do our best. We had quite a fun time even before we got this going. So, <laughs> yes, some would say hey, too a much. Group fun. of hyenas is called a clan, by the way. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm joined by the clan. Yeah, <laughs> let's not go there, guys. <laughs> um. So, well, first of all, I guess uh, we should say congratulations. Um, the concert was uh, astounding. Um, Thank you very much. I know for a lot of us, that was the highlight of the weekend. Um, uh, Tom, I think you. Well, you're 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 usually not here for interviews, but this was one that you kind of wanted to be a part of. Do you want to maybe tell these folks why? Yeah, um, this was the reason I went to G Fest. Um, you know, awesome, the, awesome. The, the first one, um, I, I think, just in just in general, I mean, I I've never lived close to Chicago, and you know, even especially when that first one was going on, um, I was down here in Houston, um, and I heard really good things, and then there was the second one, 
and financially I was not in a place where I could do that. I've, uh, I've had some, I work in the oil industry. Um, so there's obviously been some ups and downs in that market yeah. and Has, uh, hasn't been good since the Rockefellers got out of it. So yeah. Yeah. So, um, so there's there's been so there were some some rough times there around 2014 2015. So um, when I heard about this one and being where I am right now, and then one of the other big things in 2014 and 2015 was um, I had my daughter was born in 2014 and my son was born in 2015. Awesome. So uh, you know going to Chicago for uh, Godzilla Nerd Convention was you know not high on my priority list. Um, this concert was the reason I went and it was the absolute highlight of the weekend. And then the, um, the, the bonus concert, the, the piano concert that, uh, wasn't the reason I was there, but definitely was something I wanted to check out as soon as I heard about it was like my number two highlight of the weekend. And I have listened to, um, that, that Ifuka Bay piece, uh, that she played, uh, Ritmika Astonata, like, at least once a week since G Fest has been over, but definitely more than once a week. Um, so it's 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 been it was kind of like an eye opener in a lot of ways, uh, and I just wanted to, to yeah pick your pick your brains and, and be a part of this because because uh, it was it was awesome. And thanks for being here, Tom. It was really a joy to to uh, meet you, and I kind of like talking baseball with you, even though uh, now. Uh, going to get a little tougher for us when we meet you guys in the playoffs this year so yeah i uh i love that move but sports ball is not but, uh, but that's not why we're here <laughs> um i kind of wanted to actually kick this off because so one of the things you know uh i think everyone who's kind of ever been on this podcast has done um, is just briefly talk about, uh, you know, how you guys became fans of the genre in general, you know, your early exposures to it and, and how you kind of became fans of that. To be honest, I don't remember. Okay. Moving like a lifelong. That was, that was moving. <laughs> no, um, Eric, go ahead. No, when I was, when I was a kid, my, my dad loved horror films, old horror films. And I think I must have inherited that from him. And when I was a kid, um, I actually was, was raised as a youngster by, by my mom, my brother and I both. I loved watching monster movies. And she would rent for me any monster movie that I wanted. We'd go to the video store. And this is back in you know like the early and the mid-80s. So I'd see movies in the video store like Ghoulies and Troll and Chud and these these movies. And I'm, I'm like in, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade. And she would rent these movies for me. I wasn't scared of them. I knew they were fake. I just liked them. And I remember one time uh, she rented Godzilla 1985 for me. And I was fascinated by it. I thought it was actually... One of the scariest out of all those that I mentioned, Godzilla 1985 actually scared me, uh, but I liked it. And then, uh, yeah, just growing up, me and my brother loved watching uh, Godzilla films, uh, you know, King Kong versus Godzilla, Godzilla versus Megalon. You know, my mom would buy for us all these VHS tapes, um, and we loved them. And uh, yeah, it's just something, you know, here I am, I'm I'll be 41 in a few months, and still love this stuff just as much as ever. So that's kind of how I got into it. 
Yeah, and just for me, uh, I was a kid, dinosaur fan. Uh, my grandmother uh, didn't know the difference between Godzilla and T-Rex, so she just brought me home this movie <laughs> one day. Uh, it was called Godzilla vs. Megalon, and that's kind of what what uh, got it going. And then uh, I think uh, early on, I, I, as far as my memories go, I remember King Kong versus Godzilla and Godzilla 84 being uh, two of the ones that I used to really watch a lot, uh, Gigan, Mechagodzilla, pretty much whatever was like available on VHS tape in like the early, late, late eighties, early nineties is kind of, those were the ones, whatever was accessible was kind of what I, uh, what I got into. And, um, that's, that's, that's why I'm here. That's how I got. Yeah. That's a pretty similar story. I mean, I feel like everyone in our relative age group has a somewhat similar story to that, but it's just, it's always something I like to hear, you know? Um, and so then, you know, I mean, you're, so, I mean, John, you're conducting, you know, orchestras of, uh, of concerts of this music and, and, and Eric, you're Fukube's, you know, biographer. So on the musical part of this genre, I mean, it, it obviously sounds like you were genre fans who, who then liked the music and, and I, I guess almost more what I'm driving at is were you were you fans of this who then liked the music of this and then that got you into music in general or were you always kind of musically inclined and so then as you kind of moved further on and, and became more and more into music kind of retroactively went back and looked at these movies and, and the, the music of these movies as a, sort of a... a you know, a, another kind of avenue of exploration. I, I mean, as far as as far as I go, um, I, I've always said it before that the the music in these films is like a a, a character in and unto itself. So, um, I love film music for, uh, from a very young age, like Superman and, and and Danny Elfman's Batman, two of my favorite soundtracks of all time, and um, I kind of discovered that from a very young age that the music of films in general not just godzilla films but uh other films i would watch superhero films and etc like that was one of my favorite aspects of of filmmaking so you know when i got older and stuff and as i as i started learning how to play you know instruments like i'm a bass player by trade uh if you want to call it that (laughs) so um uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of rock and roll and stuff like that as well. But like, I really, I'm, my love of film music has always, always been there. And the first soundtracks that I ever got, I, I mean, I, I can tell you the first four. It was uh, Superman, like I just said, uh, Batman, uh, Star Wars, uh, New Hope, and Godzilla vs. Destroya were the first like film scores I ever owned. And by far the one that I, the ones that I wore out were Superman and Godzilla versus destroyer. And, um, I, I just, you know, you're a kid, you got your toys, you're, you're playing with your, your, your superhero figures, your Godzilla figures, and you're either humming this music or you're playing it. If you had that capability, usually I was humming it. So, uh, for me, I've just always loved film music. And then I started to, when I got older and I started to study music and I wanted to, pr- pursue being a film composer and i started writing music for independent films and, and stuff like that um that my love was always just kind of there and uh that kind of led to me saying well if i ever really want to hear this stuff get performed live i i might have to do it myself 
uh, I mean, conduct it myself because it's just not something that fits into a lot of repertoires on a lot of orchestras. So I hope that answers the question. Yeah, for me it does. And, and, and yeah, it's, uh, you're talking about like humming it. I mean, that's my, my son does that right now when he's playing with his Godzilla toys. So you, you can always tell when he's picked up a Godzilla toy, cause he'll be, you know, in his playroom or whatever going. Dun, 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 dun. And that's so. always going to happen. There's, that's never not going to be the case. That's how great the music was for these films. And, any young kids, no matter if, you know, in our lifetimes and beyond, if they get into Godzilla movies, they're going to get into the music. You just you really can't separate the two. So, Eric, any any kind of input from from your end on, on that? Uh, you know, how how the musical kind of uh, affinity developed for you? Yeah, you know, I, I pro- probably the the first film scores that really made an impression on me were the Godzilla scores and the Star Wars scores because I grew up watching both series, and um, I remember being a kid with a little cassette recorder and holding. And I, you know, I've talked to several people that have actually done this. You know, they've taken their little cassette recorder and held it up to the speaker of the TV just to record the music. And not just the Yves Kube music. I mean, I mean, there was that, uh, you know, the, the scores from uh, King Kong versus Godzilla and all that stuff. Um, but also, you know, music from Smog Monster and Yuji Koseki's Mothra music. And because I, I thought there was something very special and and fun about listening to the music on its own terms. You know, take the take the the cassette tape that I recorded into the backyard, or just you know go into my bedroom and and just listen to the music so I could just focus on the music and. And I, I just loved it. It was, it was good music to me. I, it, it just, it spoke to me somehow. And, and yeah, you know, and then, you know, maybe that was sort of a gateway because it was around that time, uh, you know, 19, um, 1989 when the Batman, I remember loving the Batman movie, Tim Burton's 1989 Batman, which is still my favorite Batman film and falling in love with the music. And I remember it's one of the time, best. It is. And I remember at the time, you know, the Batman soundtrack with Prince was was the big deal. And I had that. And I remember thinking to myself, well, yeah, the Prince music is fine, whatever. But I want the music that's actually in the movie. So I remember being a youngster. I mean, at that time, I think I was in fifth grade going to a Sam Goody at the mall. I don't know. Did you guys have because I'm on the West Coast. Did you guys oh, have yeah. Sam? Goody? OK, yeah. So, uh, you know, going to Sam Goody and. My mom took me there because I wanted to see if they had, I didn't know how to say it, background music. Remember, so we mm-hmm. walked up to a guy that was working there, and my mom says, okay, do you have a question for, for the man? And I said, yeah. I said, do you have a tape of the background music in Batman? And he smiled, and he goes, oh, you mean the score. And I said, oh, okay. And yes, they had it. I listened to that tape repeatedly. You know, I, I didn't need the movie. The music on its own was was beautiful and 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 goosebump inducing and all the stuff. I'm a fifth grader, you know, and this mm-hmm. led me to like Bram Stoker's Dracula, 1982, that fabulous score by Wojciech Kilar. Um, so in the props for saying his name the right way too. Well, yeah, of course. I <laughs> that's, that's how I do things, John. I say things the right way, and so in the in the mid 90s thereabouts when the internet started to really kind of take shape 
it became easier to order soundtrack CDs from Japan of Godzilla movies. Um, and, you know, I didn't have a, a way to do that before, but the internet made that possible. So when I, when we got our internet connection, I started researching where I could get scores for the Godzilla films. And I started collecting, I would purchase these import CDs. Of course they were expensive, but I wanted them. So I, I ordered them and I loved the music. And then it was in 1995, wasn't it? The interview with Akira Ifkube and G Fan by Ed Gajajewski. Yep. And I loved the music already, but then here comes this interview where the composer of this music, these Godzilla films, is talking about not just the film scores, but his career as a whole, the the entire breadth of his career, and all these classical works. Man, I loved that interview, and I read it over and over and over and, and every time i read it it was like i was reading it for the first time it was that exciting to me and i thought to myself oh my gosh you know this this is a fascinating interview this guy has a whole body of music outside of just these film scores you know japanese rhapsody written in 1935 and all of these classical pieces i really love the film music i wonder if his non-film music is is any good found 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 them on the internet ordered them they were expensive but i i got them Absolutely fell in love with it. I thought to myself, oh my God, this music is great. This music is really, really good. It's exciting. It's, it, it, it just speaks to me. And that's what really kind of started you know, my, my interest in wanting to find out more about not just the Godzilla scores, because you know, everyone knows this music, right? But you know, mm-hmm. Ed's interview really kind of set the foundation for, oh yeah, you know, there's a whole backstory here. I wanted to find out more about the backstory, and that's kind of where it took off for me in, in my research. I also have to sit there and, and, and put props to that too, because that interview was, um, that was one of the things like back in kind of between like 2007 and, and 2008 and nine, whenever, when I was writing to orchestras and I've told the story before, I would photocopy that interview and send it along with like a mixed CD. Like when I would say here, learn about this man and like Ed's interview in that, or in that, issue of G fan that that is still one of the greatest um, like when you're just, when you're talking about just single like interviews with like anybody who's been involved with these films, that one from 95, I mean, I, there's very little that tops it for me. I love that interview. Oh, I do too. It's, it's what the, the composer was kind of just allowed to talk. In that interview, Ed would ask very good questions, and then the composer would just talk, and Ed let him talk. And the 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 way that his the way that the interview just sort of unfolded, it was just one story after another. And I just thought to myself, this is a fascinating man. This is a fascinating backstory. You know, this this sort of offers us a little glimpse into where this great Godzilla music comes from. And it just, it, it kind of lit a fire under me to want to find out more about them. Yes. For those who don't know, um, previously there was the Afukube 100 and symphonic fury concerts in 2014 and 2015. Um, and I think there was always, uh, rumblings of a, of a third, um, so what led you to decide 2019, you know, we're, we're going to do it? Uh, Oshima kind of instigated it. She had 
pushed for it um, ever since we first kind of met and started talking. Um, and, you know, I, I really just wanted to try it again. Uh, we had so many good materials. Uh, I wanted to do the Sato stuff and uh, really wanted to do Rodan. But um, I got the confidence to do it from her. Like, she really was like, yeah, let's let's give it a try. Let's, let's push for it, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna help you with this. We're gonna be it's gonna be fun. So she she was uh, she really was a big proponent of us kind of going forward and giving this a try. Yeah. So for those who don't know, um, the Kaiju Crescendo concert was this past G Fest. The first half was John conducting suites from um, Rodan, the Mysterians, the Three Treasures, Son of Godzilla. <laughs> Um, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Um, am I forgetting any? I think that's all of them. Um, and then the second Plus the half... Godzilla theme. Oh, yeah, yeah, the theme. And then the second half was Oshima coming out and doing suites from Megagiris, Mechagodzilla, Tokyo SOS, and then an original Godzilla uh, piece that she did just for the concert. And what was crazy mm-hmm. to me was that... That was her first live performance. Uh, there was an orchestra, I think, in Os- in Osaka or something like last year, the year before that, did just her Godzilla theme. Uh, not uh, her, not not her conducting, but uh, yeah, I, I do believe this was the first time when she actually just went out there and did it herself. So it's kind That's of crazy. a fun, yeah, it's a mind-boggling thing. In in Japan, how often do you get to see a Godzilla composer conduct their own music? It, it doesn't happen because not many of them are alive anymore, and the ones from, like, the newer era, they just, they don't do it. So that that, that was one of the things that I took a lot of pride in, in how special that performance was, because we were truly offering something that even fans in Japan don't get. But hopefully, maybe going in the future this might spark something so so take us through some of the suites that you picked why did you select those specifically for this concert uh are you speaking for my half or Ushima's? either i mean well i would say both but you can start with you and talk about some of the stuff that she picked well hers well. is pretty obvious right because <laughs> it's uh, yeah well, yours, you know? well yeah yes and no um okay so the uh, the set list, at least on for my half, evolved like pretty much even leading up to like a uh, couple months before the the concert. Because originally I had a lot more variety as far as like the composers, and there was going to be a lot more like single pieces. Like I was, I wanted to do uh, Alexander Desplat's Godzilla 2014 main titles. Uh, I wanted to get a little bit of Shin Godzilla, like the persecution of the masses in there and stuff. And then just as we looked at it and we, we were kind of like, maybe we should just kind of focus down and just have, just stick to like what we do with sweets and stuff like that. So we added like three treasures and that was actually, um, well, that was Eric's instigation because he, <laughs> and this guy, he always has a habit of being able to do this. He always, he's always able to kind of, he had suggested, um, maybe either early this or earlier this year or last year, he was like, uh, he said, you know, you guys should do the, uh, the music for the birth of Orochi from, uh, the three treasures. It's, it's really good. It's, it's 
it, you know, it's it's very much monster mode if Kube, but it's also a very unique piece. And then <clears throat> um, a few weeks before the concert, I was contacted uh, and told that, you know, Akira Takarada wanted to come to the concert with his entourage. So I was thinking, wait a second. We don't really have uh, we don't really have any 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 sweets that from movies he was in. He wasn't in Rodan, he wasn't in Mysterians. So we gotta kinda like we should probably do something about that. So then I, I started thinking back to like Bertha Barochi and then I said, why don't we just do a, a suite from the whole movie? And so that's kinda how uh, the three treasures, aka Birth of Japan, kinda came into play there. So it, our set list definitely evolved and I just I, I well, as far as like in in the instance of like Rodan, you know, like I go through and I listen to the soundtrack and I think, okay, what what would make a good intro? Do we want to start heavy? Do we want to start mysterious? Which we did with the uh, the giant cave theme. And I said, like like I, I I tend to go through and just say, what are the hallmarks of each score? Like, and sometimes you can't even get to every one of them, but you do your best. I mean, you've only got a, a, a finite amount of time. So uh, that's kind of how I went about picking the pieces that I wanted to do for my end. Uh, for Oshima, obviously, you had her three movies. She, she, it was her idea to do the, the new piece, Godzilla in Chicago. But I very much didn't have much input, except I said to her, like, I basically, the one request I made was I said, if you do... Well, not if, but when you do the Godzilla against Mechagodzilla suite, please, please, please do that wonderful, beautiful piece for um, uh, Sarah and the, her plant. Like kind of when, kind of when, um, uh, uh, was it Shin Takuma's character from? Uh, he he's explaining to Akane in that movie about how his his daughter has issues with um, with. She's very sensitive about life and death because they lost their, you know, his wife, yeah. her mother, mm-hmm. and that whole, all that music that that accompanies that flashback, is one of my favorite things that she wrote. So I, that's all I said was, please do that, and she did. That that was my only request of her. But otherwise, I, I uh, she just she picked everything she wanted to do. She she wrote those suites from her original music. She kind of crafted them. Uh, to fit the concert setting, it was all up to her. Going going back just a second, I I uh, th- this on this podcast, my distaste for uh, Shin Godzilla is probably pretty well documented. But uh, that persecution of the masses with the vocalists from this concert would have been bananas, honestly. Um, I, I think it would have been. Megan would have did an awesome job, and I, I loved uh, what she was able to do. With uh, Birth of Japan or Three Treasures, and uh, especially you know the, the one that brought the house down, the uh, the King Shizar song or the King Shisa song. I say Shisa, people say Shizar, Shizar, whatever. It's Mirabi's prayer, whatever you want to call it. But um, yeah, the, uh, that would have been it. Would have been a lot of fun, and it was almost in there. And we almost, almost, and this this would have thrown people. I was planning on doing. Something that was I wasn't going to tell anybody about. Uh, we were going to throw in the end credits to Godzilla: Final Wars with the orchestra. <laughs> no joke, no joke. But but I wanted to kind of do it as like a you know because Keith Emerson, unfortunately, and I've been very critical, obviously, of his music for that movie. And that I mean, I just I don't 
uh, don't like that movie at all. But, um, you know, I, it, it's kind of a really sad tale how Keith Emerson's life came to an end uh, because he wasn't able to um, do the one thing that he loved to do. So um, when we were still kind of like when when the con- when my my half at least was still going to be kind of like a hodgepodge with a little bit more here and there. Uh, I kind of wanted to end the concert with that. Just, you know, it was kind of just kind of a way of just paying tribute to him, just to the man, even if you're not necessarily. And I, and I kind of like was like, all right, let's see what we can do. Maybe see how this would work with an arrangement for the orchestra. But then, like I said, unfortunately, when you're focusing down and you're just trying to get everything together and you have to look at, um, you know what's going to make sense how can we do this and you're looking at the amount of time that you have it just it, it didn't come together like that hmm. so uh <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to process that we can have that <laughs> so, um <laughs> but so one of the things i'm i'm really interested in is is um you know when you, when you go about creating the suites um if you could walk us through maybe a little bit how you select the pieces from each score and how each one flows into each each other one. I I personally thought it was really interesting, um, and I don't I don't know if this was your intention. I this seems like a softball question, but I just you know I kind of feel like I got to know what, what you know how much your intention was to kind of lead off or even at, you know lead from Rodan. You know, as this kind of dour, depressing. Um, downbeat kind of score especially with you know its finale and everything um and then the son of godzilla music started and you could feel the energy in the room change um as that music started in and it it got you know more poppy and and not poppy but you know just more bubbly and everything so if you just kind of walk us through creating the suites uh selecting the pieces from each score briefly and 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 how one uh, sweet flowed into the next, you know, how you kind of arrange the set list. Um, well, as I said before, I try to look at each, um, each film soundtrack that I want to do and say, what are the, uh, the, the hallmarks? What are we, what are we going for? Or like, wh- which ones are going to, uh, best represent each, each film. And, you know, obviously, there's no real reason. I mean, obviously, yeah, you go from Rodan, which you have that that nice requiem at the end, and then, like you said, the Sato stuff is very upbeat, very jazzy. Um, it, it was just a matter of uh, it. It all. It also depends on what materials I have, and Eric will kind of he can kind of get into that with the uh, with the Ifkube stuff, but um, for the Sato stuff, I, I really want to highlight the job that uh, Vinnie De Gregory did to help make this happen because yes, uh, yes. you guys you, obviously you guys know you guys know Vinny um, I had asked him to help out with the Sato pieces because I had listened to some of the things he had did by ear with um, with like his virtual instruments and I'm like yeah he, he kind of really gets the harmony and he's you know it's it's it, it would just it, it helped me out a lot because it was like I could focus on like a lot of the Ifkube stuff so uh, Vinny was more than happy to come along uh, and help, and he's, you know, like I said, he's got he's got a really good ear. So all I needed from him was to kind of, uh, I selected the piece. And I said, this is what we're going to do. Um, some of them he had already did versions of like the Kamakura uh, theme and stuff. Um, 
And then other ones he would just send me. And what he would do is he would send me a MIDI file, which I would import into my digital audio workstation. And then, uh, you know, like uh, I use a program for notation called Finale. So I would read his p- uh, basically the piano roll is what they call it, like the MIDI forms that um, – uh, like, like if you were to perform the, the track, it's, it's, I'm just trying to think of it in layman's terms. Uh, so I would read those and then I would transcribe that into finale. So Vinny basically got all the harmonies and stuff down. And then I told him, don't worry about the percussion. I'll take care of notating the percussion and all that stuff. And it was a, it was a really big help. And again, I can't stress enough, uh, just how, how helpful Vinny was and he I think it was a really enjoyable experience for him uh, and it made him want to kind of really learn music theory more which made me very happy and so I, I encourage that because I just think that you know it, studying music can be one of the most people think it's kind of like daunting but it can be one of the most rewarding things you can possibly do so uh, you know that 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 was how that process went, and like for things like with like uh, Godzilla versus Godzilla seventy four, um, you know, I was surprised that people were like, I can't believe you did the uh, the King Caesar song, and I'm like, how how do you do that sweet? How do you do that music and not do that tune? There's no way. So, uh, you know, certain things are inevitable. Like if you're going to do a suite from a movie, you know, there's certain marches, certain themes that are just absolutely inevitable. But, um, <clears throat> for the, if Kube stuff, I was really lucky to be working from, from actual materials. And I'll let Eric speak to that. Well, I, I really don't have much to say about that. I've been very lucky that in my, my research of the composer and the composer's music, uh, the composer's son, with whom I I work on my website, org, compiling his life story. I've been very lucky over the years that he's been able to send me manuscript material of a lot of these scores. And it's, it's, it's very valuable because this is music that we've all heard in the films many, many times over the years, but to actually look at the, the manuscript scores, you can begin to better understand and interpret what's happening in the music. So when it came time to start organizing this third concert, um, and you know, John has mentioned this before, that one of the things, one of the scores that people would, would mention to him, hey, if you guys ever do a third concert, do Rodan. And that happens to be one of the scores that I had at hand. And so that kind of is what one of the earlier questions was, you know, how did we decide what scores would would play into it? I think that was, you know, it was was sort of double pronged. People said that they they wanted to hear scores like Rodin or they wanted to hear the Sato stuff. And then it would also come down to what actual materials I had at hand that would help John prepare the program for the the third concert. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, John was able to, for all of the Ifukube stuff, Godzilla 54 opening titles, Rodan Mysterians, and also the Birth of Japan, John was able to work uh, directly with the uh, manuscript scores for for each of those films, which made his his job quite a bit easier because again the the Sato stuff I had actually contacted 
uh, Toho Music. We worked with Toho Music directly on uh, Symphonic Fury, the, the concert from 2015. And I asked them if they had in their archives, if they had any of the Sato stuff available because we were interested in doing this concert. And no less than the president of Toho Music told me that they don't have anything. In their archives, they have absolutely nothing. So, yeah, that meant that John, with uh, the, the very valuable help of Vinnie DeGregory, had to compile the Son of Godzilla and Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 74 suites completely by ear. And the Jeez. night of the concert, and, and I'm very lucky to have the raw audio from the concert, listening to that, it's absolutely jaw-dropping how well the two of those guys were able to reconstruct that music literally by ear with not one note of music. Nope, not a single one. Not a single one. So because the Ifkube material was much more readily available, that gave John much more time to, with Vinny's help, of course, to hammer out and get the two Sato scores ready for for the concert. And I, I, I have to say, I mean, John just got done singing Vinny's praises. I'm going to sing them too. Um, I'm a musician myself. I, I don't have... I understand music theory. I don't understand it as well as John does. John can look at a single sheet of, of score and immediately conceptualize everything he sees instantaneously. I really have to look at it to, to, to get there. John can do it instantaneously. I don't have the talent Vinny has to get those harmonies and you know get the melody and the little nuances of the music. You know, Vinny was a, Vinny's able to do that. Um, and like, I, and I said, I said yeah. to him, like, like having having the gift of a really good ear like that, you know, like you can learn, you can learn time signatures, you can learn rhythms, you can learn all that stuff. But ha- developing a really, really good ear is sometimes hard to do for people. It, I mean, it, and he's he's got a natural ear, and I like it's a really, really good foundation and gift to be able to start with. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, if that's how you kind of start as a musician and you start learning, like, because I, and I even told them, like, I, I started learning backwards. Like, I was I was in rock bands and stuff. I, I am not classically trained. Uh, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And, um, you know, as long as you have a, have a respect and love for music, music's not really, it's it's in your heart. It's 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 in your emotions. That's that's always what it's been. I mean, in, in the, obviously you need it in the mind too, but, to have a really good ear and be gifted like that is a special thing. Yeah, and and something I want to add, you know, and let's let's not forget John's talents either. I, you know, it's it's very kind of funny, and I I have said this, and our mutual friend Reiko Yamada, who was uh, a student of Yves Kube, she was one of the piano performers that that Tom mentioned earlier at that second concert at G Fest. Reiko and I are both of the same mind that that John, and I mean this very sincerely, I'm not just blowing smoke, but John, we both feel that John is sort of an Ifkube-like figure. Because stop it. Please stop. John, shut up. (laughs) Please stop. Ifkube himself was also not, in the traditional sense, classically trained. And, you know, growing up in northern Japan in Hokkaido, where he didn't have access to instructors to teach him how to play the violin where he didn't have access to teachers who could teach him to compose music. 
Akirif Kube had to learn to do this by himself. And it was his passion that drove him and the natural talent that allowed him to do it well. Because I'll tell you what, I love this music every bit as much as John does. And, but there's no way I could ever do, I could never organize a concert and certainly arrange music and conduct this music the way John does. You know, I'm, 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 I'm very happy to work with John because I, I think we're sort of, you know, two sides of a, of, of one coin, you know, I'm sort of the, the writer, the biographer, I'm capable and able to write about the composer's life. But John is the one that has just a natural talent, not only for arranging it and conducting it, but, you know, organizing these concerts so we can hear the music to begin with. I'm, I'm very lucky that, that I have this opportunity to work with John because he and I just get along very, very well. We, we approach the, the music from two different very angles, but I think as, as two sides, if you will, of, of one coin, I'm, I'm very happy to work with him. Well, I appreciate that, Eric, but it is, again, worth mentioning to people that music is what you feel. And even if you're not musically inclined, you can, you know, you can really love and experience music in, in a way that's profound. And that's kind of all I've ever wanted to do. Um, and that's that that that's what I think anybody who really wants to express and share music, I think that's the the best goal of all is just to kind of get people to just experience something profound. And that's what's made it worth it every time, whether it was If Kube 100 or Symphonic Fury or Kaiju Crescendo, it, especially after, again, you know, I'm going to keep going back to the King's Isar song because it, you could just tell people were just so thrilled by that. And it was so rewarding. So I just I want to go back to something Eric mentioned. Um, you know, because we, we, you know, kind of you in there, you were talking about. You essentially kind of touched on what I think our next question was going to be about. You know, why you chose each of these films, and it sounds like you know it's basic. Some of it, at least, was based on availability. And now I'm I'm looking over a little bit the uh, the set list from uh, Akira Fukube 100 and uh, and. Symphonic Fury, and um, just you know, looking at the the Godzilla franchise and kind of picking out. All right, they haven't, you know, we haven't seen this one, we haven't seen this one or heard whatever. Um, and now I'm wondering, is is it fair to say, you know, if there's a fourth concert, and I don't, I want to, I don't want to put you on the spot. We haven't heard, uh, we haven't done uh, Raids again, um, Sea Monster, Revenge, um, Hedra, he yeah, Hedra. Right. Now you do know that the that the people who perform this stuff they are just human beings, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, Megalon, um, I, that's the, the the Showa stuff, right? It's fair to assume that any of that other stuff would have to be uh, sort of reconstructed by by sound, essentially, uh, similarly to how you did uh, uh, Mechagodzilla and and Sun for this, right? I mean, there's probably no materials for that. Um, well, uh, as far as we know. No, but then again, maybe there is that. It's the funny thing because, like, they're doing concerts of some of the stuff in Japan. So I'm wondering where are they getting the materials over there? But it's like being able to kind of track that down is is a is a different story. Like like Eric said, we uh, we can ask Toho what they have in the archives. We have um, we have contacts there. 
Miss Oshima has contacts at Toho Music. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's safe to assume that if there were ever another, and I'm, that's a big if, there were ever a fourth concert, at least in this format, um, in this yeah, you know, time of year, let's just say that. Uh, yeah, you don't know. You, you, you just don't know because there could be, uh, you know, Riechiro Manabe was was the last one to pass away. I, th- I think he was, right? He was, he passed away. Of the Showa like, composers, yeah. Yes, yes. So you just don't know. I mean, maybe he's got, like, I, I was always of the opinion that, uh, at least for Megalon, it always sounded like he just made lead sheets for his music, like not but like full. But I'll tell you what, John, just a, a month ago or so, my brother attended. They did a concert in Japan where they played a suite from Godzilla versus Megalon, don't you know? Yes, actually. Well, I saw that listed on what I think was that from uh, Three Shells. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, it was a mainly Ifkube concert, and then they threw in a suite from Godzilla versus Megalon. <laughs> I, I I really can't wait to hear that. I want I want to hear what that sounds like. So that's uh, like doing this concert and then throwing in that Keith Emerson piece at the end. <laughs> that's, well, that's God, wild. The, the Godzilla series is a big big series, and there's a lot of music in it. So. Oh yeah, for sure. So, um, <clears throat> getting back to, I guess, score selection and what you had available, were, were, did you ever have to, like, choose between, you know, scores that you did have and say, uh, do I do this one or this one? Was there anything uh, that... Yes. Yeah? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I kind of wanted to do, uh, uh, Varan, uh, and, and we have both, and we have both scores for that. We have the TV yeah. score and the film score for Varan. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just you, you've always got to choose because you, you've only got a, a certain amount of time that you can actually get uh, as far as performance goes. So, yeah, it, it, choosing is is the worst part because when you, especially when you actually when you have everything selected, but you still have to make cuts. Like, like the Mysterian suite, I wanted to be so, I wanted to do a few more things with that. And there was just, you know, you've only got so much time. And, and the other thing, John was, play bass on Bio Wars. No, 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 please, no. Please do that. No, As you're no, conducting with like the, the head of the guitar. The, the, the other thing that I want to say also, by the way, is that, you know, because I, you know, John was going to you know for example the mysterian suite he was he did he did cut some material he had an original concept for that suite and in the interest of time he did have to cut out some material which is unfortunate but it's what we had to do in order to you know that those those musicians can't be playing this stuff all night and that's one thing to keep in mind is that this is very as john would say athletic music to perform uh this is not you know, this is not Mozart symphonies and, and this sort of thing, you know, sort of refined music. This is stuff that is very bombastic and requires a lot of energy from the orchestra, not just the Ifkube stuff, but also the Oshima stuff. So, you know, you, you can't overtax the musicians either because they'll get too tired. Isn't that right, John? That is actually correct. And, uh, you know, these will work your chops. These are like Ric Flair chops. You know, you, how many keys? <laughs> exactly. Um, 
but just especially for the brass and the in the trumpet players, just like being able to to pull those notes off, um, that hurts. Like it hurt. Like you know, some of these, some of these, some of these these guys and gals that you know they could get hernias from doing that all night. Like like it's really. Uh, in the first two concerts, we're like, okay, yeah, we'll just pack it to an hour. And like, I really thought about this, and and I had conversations with Michiru about the length of her concert and 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 mine. And we 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 both wanted to make sure that we stayed as far as the amount of music between forty five and fifty minutes for this. And uh, that was absolutely because, you know. It's quality versus quantity. I mean, the musicians get tired. They're they're just people. You know what I'm saying? And and they're great people. They're great talents. But you know, string players can play a lot, a lot more, a lot longer. I mean, but like trumpet players, when they're playing these loud, you know, triple forte notes, you know, you you got to think about them because it takes a lot out of them to do that. I know you said the three treasures. Part of it was you wanted a movie that. Takarada was in, but did you ever feel like that piece might throw off the audience or maybe alienate them since it's such a, I guess, you know, no one stateside's really that familiar with that one? Absolutely not. And the reason that I, well, it's funny because number one, or okay, two things. Number one, no, because again, Eric had suggested the birth of Orochi and the last time Eric had suggested something and fought me for something to keep something in the concert, it was called Kishimai, and that was in 2015 for right. Symphonic Fury, which which just ended up being one of the, the hit pieces of the show. Everybody seemed to love Kishimai. Uh, and, you know, as Eric will say, like, I'm kind of proud that uh, I got a little bit of praise over on the other side of the Pacific as, for that one as well. And so I was very happy we kept that. Uh, so I, I trust him when he's like, "Hey, let's let's go this way." I, I'm, I'm always thinking about that because uh, sometimes when you're when you're so close to something as I am with like the set list or the concert, like you can kind of lose your objectivity a little bit. And uh, Eric is one of the. I mean, as as far as like a, like opinions that I trust, people who have good ideas, Eric is somebody who I really trust. So. Um, to me, I looked at it like, okay, three treasures, you know, this will be something new that people can discover. We're not going to, you know, it was a, it was like a, what, a seven-minute suite, but it's got the hallmarks. You got that great opening piece with the vocal. Uh, you got that nice little kind of interlude, um, softer piece, and then you have the birth of Orochi, which is I knew, you know, based on what Eric told me, I, I really trusted that that would go over well. So I wasn't afraid of alienating the audience um at all with that yeah and 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 and, you know maybe a little bit of alienation by the way is is a good thing because everyone already knows you know aside from the birth of japan the vast majority of everybody in that concert hall would have already known all of that music because it's all of that music was from well-known kaiju and godzilla films so i my idea was that it would be something that would be for most i mean there were some people there that knew about the movie and, and know it very well but I figured, yeah, the majority of the people won't know the music from this film because they will not have seen the film. And that makes sense because for a few reasons. Number one, it's not a kaiju film per se. I mean, it's definitely a tokusatsu film. Eiji Tsuburaya's fabulous effects work is all over it. But Orochi, the eight-headed dragon, is the only kaiju in the film, and he's not in it for very long. 
but um, but I, I figured that yeah, you know, it'd be something new, so people would be able to hear a score that they were unfamiliar with. Because I think that's part of the reason why people should go to concerts. It's not only to hear the things that they know, but there should also be a sense of discovery. Every so often, you should be able to go and hear something that you're not familiar with, something that you can discover. And the the Orochi music is. That was a John's- pleasure. That was that was such a pleasure to do. It, it was it was hard to kind of uh, to get that one the paper, but oh, it was such a pleasure to do. Yeah, and and it's it's a great kaiju theme. I mean, it's like John said, it's got all the hallmarks. I mean, when you hear the music, there's there's no mistaking who wrote it. But it's a it's a kaiju theme that probably the majority of people in the audience didn't know. So. It's it's you know they're they're getting something new and familiar all at the same time. They're they're getting a sense of discovery and familiarity all at the same time. And in, in fact, after the concert, I I overheard people in the lobby talking actually quite a bit about that section of the score. Oh, have you ever seen it? Oh yeah, Toshiro Mifune's in it, and I've seen it. Oh well, I haven't seen it. I need to see it. And that kind of made me smile because that's precisely the kind of what we're going for exactly the kind of reaction that i was hoping for that people would be like oh yeah i know about that movie i've never seen it now i've got to check it out because that that section of the concert was actually pretty cool so as far as i'm concerned that was a was a mission accomplished for me and not only that eric uh that one's not really been performed much in japan has it as far as I know, the, that score, no portion of that score has ever been performed live in concert anywhere. I mean, the film was made in 1959. And by the way, it's a very, very lengthy score. The, the movie is quite long. And if I can't remember, John, is the score about 170 pages? You know, to put it in perspective. It got yeah, something score. like almost, almost 200 pages for sure. Right. So to put it in perspective, the Godzilla 54 score is about 30 pages. Uh, Rodan is about 70 pages. Mysterians is about 30. It's about the same as Godzilla 54. Birth of Japan is almost 200 pages. The composer, Akirif Kube, wrote a lot of music for that score. And I think it's one of his best scores, period. It's very ambitious. It's very big. It's got some great moments in it. He uses a lot of ethnic instruments in it to give it a really sort of ancient Japanese or ancient Asian flavor. And, um, but yeah, I mean, as good as that score is, to my knowledge, no portion of it has ever been performed live in concert. So I'm very happy and proud and gratified that at Kaiju Crescendo, we were the first to, uh, to do that. So there you go, people. You saw something that nobody else ever has on either side of the Pacific. It, it worked. It worked on me. I, uh, I kind of, I don't want to say rushed out or anything, but I made it a point to watch that movie. Uh, for the first time recently. And what did you think of the movie, by the way? I like the score. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know a long it's, movie. It's, 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 a, it it's a long movie. It's yeah. extremely long. It's very culturally specific. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's basically like it's almost asking... It's like asking a Japanese person to kind of really understand the Ten Commandments if they watch it and... You know, you can appreciate it for just kind of just for the spectacle and 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 the craftsmanship. But yeah, it, it, it's it's kind of a it's a movie that's not as accessible. Maybe for some people. I mean, I, I kind of felt the same way. It's just I, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a bad movie at all. It, it's just a very specific movie, and it's kind of really it's it, its accessibility is a little bit limited. 
Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. And and I also, I mean, and this might be part of the accessibility thing. I also thought, you know, it's a, it's certainly a lot of buildup for what feels a little bit like an anticlimax. Yeah, yeah I, I can understand, understand that. that. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. But but it's got some really great, great. Oh, it's got some super awesome. special effects. For example, I I just absolutely adore not only the music during the opening credits, which we had in. In Kaiju Crescendo. And by the way, that's a good segue. When I, once I get done saying this a little bit, you should talk about the vocalist, John. But that, that scene, the, the opening credits with the, the big choir and they're singing in ancient Japanese. It's an ancient Japanese text that Ifukube researched and adapted to his, his music. But a beautiful special effect shot of that solar eclipse over yeah. the, the titles. It's just that that powerful, grand music with just this very striking image of this solar eclipse that was done by by Tsuburaya. I think it's just it's like one of the coolest opening credit sequences of any of the Toho films that I've ever seen. So yeah, but 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 yeah, you know, I, I think one of the uh most memorable parts of the entire concert, in many ways the star of the show was was the vocalist Megan who performed the vocals on the opening yep, Meg- yeah, opening titles of Birth of Japan. She also did the King Shisa song and also uh, sang some vocals during the uh, Tokyo SOS. To- Tokyo yeah. SOS for yeah. Oshima. Why don't you talk a little bit about her, John? Uh, yeah, Megan was was awesome. Uh, she was a recommendation from um, my oboe player, Katie. Uh, Katie was actually, uh, she played on all three concerts. Uh, she's a musician that I keep in touch with, like, she uh, very talented and I knew we weren't going to really be able to kind of, if I really wanted to bolster the orchestra and get like the kind of brass and percussion we needed just budgetarily, we weren't going to be able to afford like a full choir this time, but I didn't really, you know, like I, I still wanted to have kind of the vocal element. So uh, Megan was actually a recommendation uh, from Katie and I had listened to, she had sent me some some YouTube samples of just uh, some classical pieces that she had done, and I believe Eric, I believe I sent you. I was like, I was like, I was, oh, like, yeah. I was like, check this out. Like this 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 woman Megan, uh, listen to her voice. She's great. This is going to be awesome. And um, it, it was it was an interesting thing because obviously uh, for the King She's a song, it's it's one. You know, obviously, it's it's one person singing in the movie, but for the uh, for Three Treasures or Birth of Japan, that's an entire choir, and it's really a testament to Megan's talent because mm-hmm. she, her voice is so good and it carried so well, especially in that great uh, auditorium or that theater that we did at the North Shore Center, the Center Theater. Uh, her voice had so much power that it was able to carry that. Like that one voice, which which you know in the movie was an entire choir. So I, I was I, I can't speak enough about how talented she was. And uh, just as as a very quick aside, uh, the standing ovation that she got uh, for the King Shisa song uh, when we uh, when we went backstage at intermission, she came up to me and said. And she said this in the in the nicest, with the biggest smile on her face, in the nicest way possible. What the hell was that? <laughs> like she, 
she was so uh, she was so like overwhelmed by the reception that she had gotten, and I tried to just explain to her, you know, this is like stuff that a lot of these people never really thought they'd ever get a chance to hear live, and you know, the soulfulness in your voice kind of just brought that to them, and they're just showing you love. So, yeah, she was great, and uh, she she got the. Uh, she actually, I think, lived in Japan for, I, I believe she said, like, three years. So she's actually, she she has a familiarity with, with Japanese language. That's why her pronunciation was so on point. So, uh, yeah, she yeah, had that authenticity yeah, in fact, going. In fact, Reiko, Yama, Reiko Yamada and her husband Shigatoshi were at the concert. And where they were sitting they uh, in, in the boxes, they couldn't see down onto the stage where she was singing. And Shigatoshi said to me, she goes, well, she, I'm sorry. He says, "I thought she was Japanese." He said, "Her her Japanese was perfect. The inflections in her voice were perfect." I was trying to see who it was. I thought she was Japanese. <clears throat> um, no, she killed it, and I think everyone got goosebumps when the King Caesar music started to play. Um, in organizing this concert, were there any hiccups? Uh, that you learned from organizing the two previous concerts that you were able to avoid this time? Yes. And then there were a whole bunch more that I learned from this one that I hope <laughs> to never repeat again. Uh, there's always going to be. There's a, you, yeah. You're always going to learn how to do things better each time. Um, one of the, well, I'll, t- <laughs> I'll tell you one of, the funny, one of the funnier things, at least as far as this one goes, Um well, number one from the last ones, like like I I had said before, um, you don't have to do sixty full minutes. You can do forty five minutes and have it still be effective and get a better performance out of your orchestra and not kill them. But for this one, uh, because we were just talking about Birth of Japan, Three Treasures, um, I had uh, you know like Eric Eric had suggested to do that, and I said, yeah, great, here we're going to do it, and. Uh, we had one little problem, and because we had the manuscripts, we had all all one hundred and seventy some pages. The problem was that they were very low res, <laughs> and um, so I, it, it it was difficult to kind of read those manuscripts at times. So I, I kind of learned a little bit, like, and we I actually had some help uh, uh, from Archie Walk, our graphic artist, and uh, just all around guru who just helps us with everything. Uh, he was able to kind of take them into Photoshop and and just um, kind of do some stuff to just to make them a little bit more legible. But yeah, they were really they were they were kind of like more lower res. And um, so one of the things I learned essentially was to just say, look at what you have first, because even if you have the manuscripts, got to make sure you can read them first. But they, they, we ended up it, it worked. We ended up being able to do it, so that wasn't a problem. But um, you know. Uh, you just you learn these things along the way. You learn how to do things better. Um, one of the biggest things I learned uh, was making sure that I had an off day between each rehearsal and the performance. So that's why we had it to where we started on Tuesday, off day Wednesday, Thursday rehearsal, off day Friday, Saturday performance. And um, the Saturday performance was really crucial because, you know, I... I think in my heart, I had wanted to do it on a Friday, but it is worth noting that a lot of these musicians have day jobs and, 
having them rested and just being able to come to the performance on Saturday, you know, having a full night's sleep, just getting there, you know, being able to practice more during the day is, is really what mattered. So, um, the Saturday, putting the performance back on the Saturday was the best thing we could have did for the music and just for the performance itself, just as far as the musicians went. And, uh, that was, that was another big lesson that I learned from last time. So obviously you had your half of the concert. Oshima comes out, has her half of the concert. How, at what point in this process did she actively involved? Uh, well, I had first met her in late 2015, started talking about it back then, kept in contact over the years. And, uh, I think around April of, was what, what year are we in? This is 2019, right? Yeah. So (laughs) April of 2018, like a, yeah, like a year and a half ago or a year and however many months ago, um, her and I got together and had lunch in New York, and I said, "Do, do you really want to give this a try next year? Let's like, well, you know, Kickstarter, blah 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 blah, you know." And 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 she was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, let's do it." So, we were in soft prep for it for, you know, like the just got, letting ideas gestate and just kind of thinking about how to do it, where to do it, and then, uh, sort of, kind of keeping in touch, and then. You know, right around late, about about December, November, December of last year, it's like, okay, I guess this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it. And uh, we shot the Kickstarter pitch video uh, the day after a big snowstorm in New York City. Uh, I think that was, I want to say, yeah, it was, it was, it was in February. Yeah, we shot that in February in New York City, and then. Uh, Obviously, we launched on March. Well, we were supposed to launch on March 15th. We actually ended up launching like a couple days later. But, um, yeah, that it came together pretty quickly this year. And it, it, the time flew. And it's it was a whirlwind that I'm still kind of like, whoa. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that was it. That, that was how it happened. We, we had talked about it off and on. And then last year had a meeting, a lunch meeting about it. And then really this year started kicking off the work on it. Um, now, were you aware of, um, you know, that she came up with a little story for Godzilla in Chicago. Were, were you aware of that? And like, were you, um, kind of keeping in touch with her on the, construction of the new piece you know how early on did she come up with that song to begin with okay uh so the uh the new piece she actually she came up with obviously because she mentions it in the kickstarter video but um she had mentioned that a little while back she's like yeah if we if we can do this i want to do we'll do you know as as an incentive for people and just something special like i want to do a new piece uh so she had that in her mind at least as far back as around the time we were doing the Kickstarter pitch video. I think she might have mentioned it last year, but I, I don't quite recall. As far as the, the, the story behind the music, I had no clue what that was supposed to be until the night of. 
And Eric can kind of talk about that because he was the one who found out about that before I did. <laughs> yeah, she um, – the Saturday morning or actually afternoon of the concert, because I was acting as the MC of the concert, she wanted me to make some remarks about the new piece. So I met with her over at the hotel, not at the Crown Plaza. You guys were staying at the Doubletree. So I went yes. over to the Doubletree and I met her in the lobby. And she was going over the score with me and what all of it meant. You know, she was describing to me this story about how it begins in Lake Michigan and on the clarinets and, and the harp and the strings. You know, it represents the, the the calm waters of Lake Michigan, these these rolling waves and everything. And so she's explaining to to me the story and I'm making notes because this is all stuff that I'm going to describe to the audience later that night. And then, so she's describing the beginning and then she says, Godzilla rises from Lake Michigan and he fights a monster and defeats the monster. So I said to her, I asked her, I said, okay, well, what is, is there a specific monster that Godzilla fights? And she says, you know, I really don't know. I, she goes, are there, are there water monsters in Godzilla films that Godzilla has fought before? And I said, well, actually, yes, there's, there's quite a few. Um, you know, I suppose it could have, in, in your music, it could be either one of them or, or any one of them. And immediately I had a thought, well, wait a minute. Lake monsters in the Great Lakes, there are legends about... Loch Ness monster types of monsters. They're, these are legends that go back to the native peoples that live in the area. And I said to her, I said, oh, I said, what about a, a legendary lake monster? I, I had my cell phone with me and I said, you know, I'm going to look up real quick to see if there are any legends about monsters in, in the Great Lakes. So I looked and of course there were. And then there was a very specific story I found and I mentioned this at the concert in my introduction that several years ago, there were some fishermen out on Lake Michigan and they actually recorded video of something that looked like an enormous serpent or snake in the water. And I said to Miss Oshima, I said, what about that? I said, how about if Godzilla fights a mythical lake monster? There's legends of this stuff already out here. Why not that? And she goes, I love it. So that's how that, developed so godzilla fights a mythical lake monster and then and then from there she's describing the rest of the music you know she's describing that he beats the monster goes into downtown chicago and destroys very specifically the willis and the hancock towers which are the two tallest buildings in chicago has a great time doing that he's satisfied and goes back into the water and the music ends more or less where it began with the same uh, orchestration and and motifs from the orchestra of the waters calming after he's gone back into it. So that was really fascinating to me because she had very specific ideas about what was happening in the music, uh, scene by scene, if you will. And she really wanted me to to be sure to describe this to the audience because she really wanted the audience in their in their minds to be able to follow along with this very specific s story that she created for the music. I'd love to see a, a, a fan animator jump on animating that. 
Oh, yeah. like, like, oh. I, actually, I, I think se- several people have already done illustrate. Like Bob Eggleton did one. I think Matt Frank Matt did Frank, one. Yeah. Like like illustrations that are inspired by this. So that's I think that's awesome. If that happens and people just start kind of coming up with like these Godzilla in Chicago type um, uh, pieces of art, like that would just be wonderful. <laughs> it would just be so awesome. Yeah, in fact, Bob Eggleton is going to be working on an on an entire painting, and yeah, as as John mentioned, well, uh, well Bob's pa- Bob's painting for well, because he, he wants to do, he had mentioned wanting to do just one based on that piece, but the one he's doing for the Kickstarter rewards is going to be different. So that's so yeah, but hey, maybe you know, as far as I'm concerned, the more Bob Eggleton paintings we get, the better. The world's a better place with more Bob Eggleton art. So, <laughs> visually, you know, for a, for a, a normie like me, there's a, there's a pretty early and easy cue that that um, uh, Michiro Oshima has uh, has a, has a somewhat different style conducting than than you, John. I mean, you know, she's got the uh, the the baton and, and you just using your hand. Um, I, can you talk at all? I mean, in in a way that um, I might understand um, about you know any differences she has to her approach to it than than you and and you know anything you you might have learned uh, about conducting or or even just music in general from from working with her or near her even. Well, I mean, just the fact that she's an all around just better musician composer pro than I am. Uh, yeah, no, she she's wonderful. Um, I had used a baton for the previous two and the reason i didn't use the baton this time was it was actually kind of because um uh last year i was actually conducting one of my independent film scores i was conducting some uh like a group of brass musicians in the studio and i forgot my baton when i went to the session and so i was like well i'm not going back home for it now so in time is money so like uh it was uh a, a short film score I did called the conduit. And, um, I just, you know, I was like, okay, we're going to go with this. And then I just, I kind of like, I almost, I liked conducting without the baton a little bit better because I just, I felt less distracted by like not having this, you know, this thing in my hand that I'm, I'm like, please don't let this fly off and hit somebody in the freaking eye. Uh, so I, I, I just I, I don't know. I felt I felt a lot more comfortable and I just kinda wanted to see uh, I mean and I, I still you know, I, I would still use a baton, but uh, I just liked it better not using it. And um as far as like like learning from her, uh yes, a lot. It's kinda hard to it's kinda hard to get into how because like every day we were having conversations about stuff and she's you know, uh, her, her English is very, very good. And especially in musical terms, she knows, you know, how to express stuff. So I remember specifically when I was trying to, uh, um, the, uh, the, the, the cue from Rodan, uh, Rodan flies to Sasebo, um, or Sasebo, uh, Eric, is my pronunciation correct? Sasebo. Sasebo. Okay. Uh, you know, the one that goes bum, 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 like that yeah. one, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's got a really weird time signature. It's a, it's a four, eight into an 11, 16, um, which essentially 
if like like it, I, like if you're if you're not like a musical person, it, it's basically you're going like one two three four one two three four one two three one two three four like like that. Yeah, I just jumbled that because it's late at night and I've had a su- couple Sapporos myself. But um, so you know, I, I, it was kind of like hard getting the musicians together on that. And it was because I wasn't like. Uh, I wasn't doing a good enough job as a conductor, kind of really making sure I had those time signatures tight. So one of the things was before the second rehearsal, we uh, I was driving like her and I over to the uh, to the to the you know the North Shore Center, and I was like you know yeah I'm, you know I'm, I'm, I'm like trying to uh, my my actually my bassoon player Jonathan actually. And I, I had, had talked about it and he was like, yeah, do it like this and make sure like, you know, get these downbeats here. And she was helping me sing it. So we're like, like we were just like singing it. And I was just like able to really kind of practice it along. And, um, you know, just, just things like that. She, she's a very, very kind person and she's, she loves just kind of, um, educating and and imparting her knowledge onto people and and she's she's really profound she's a profound musician and composer just i want to just there's one thing i i uh it just sprung back into my mind now i don't know if uh when earlier when we were talking about the sea serpent in lake michigan thing um there was actually a movie at the g fest um film festival this year called lake michigan monster um that played actually like at six o'clock, like right before the concert, um, so it's just kind of serendipitous, you know. That's really um, something. And I, actually, I had no idea about that. I uh, I interviewed the the director of that recently. I liked it a lot, and I would highly recommend it when it comes out. It's it's kind of was a funny, like serendipitous little thing. Um, maybe meant to be. <laughs> what was the most difficult thing about putting this show together? Okay. Um, uh, you're always going to have fires that you have to put out before and during and sometimes after. Um, I think because I want to I want to be very. Uh, I think there were ways that this could have been promoted better and that's kind of that's really all I want to say about it there were ways there were things that could have been done to uh, like at least as far as as that end goes um on the creative kind of um production standpoint end um just always wishing I had more time to do stuff that's all yeah. I think that that that's always what it comes down to is more time. Uh, the the contracting of the musicians went went so smoothly. I got such a good group this time because, uh, like I said, I I stay friends with a lot of them from the first two concerts, and uh, you know a lot of people like I like I mentioned before my uh, my bass or my bassoonist uh, Jonathan. Uh, he got me a lot of recommendations as far as. Um, people go and then there were just people like my my concert master uh charlotte bogda her her daughter helen um or you know my friend cassie um the one guy who everybody just seems to love is uh michael john ferry he's like the big guy uh the violinist who was sitting right on the outside who's always into it like everybody like seems to notice him just because he's so good and he's just kind of a presence there um 
you know, just that part and all that, like just and and knowing where to get the percussion from. Like I rented from Chicago Percussion again. Russ uh, is uh, really an awesome guy. Um, all that stuff was relatively easy just because I had had the experience of it. And John, you should also talk about the size of the orchestra because this was the. Oh, largest. That, that, that is true. Yes, I, yeah. I would be remiss to not uh, mention that uh, we had um, just just over seventy musicians. I, th- I want to say. Uh, Large, largest percussion section. Large, largest, yeah, lar- lar- largest percussion session um, or section session section. Um, uh, largest brass. Uh, yeah, it was it was we we really went all out with this one. This was the biggest orchestra we ever had. And and if I may say, I think in many ways this was the best of the three concerts. Uh, all, all three of the concerts were great. Don't get me wrong. I'm very proud to have, in one way or another, been involved with all of them. And I think John is an excellent. He's an excellent organizer. He's an excellent conductor, and he really understands this music very well. So each and every single one of the concerts has been has been excellent but in many ways i think this was the best one because i I like the variety of music in this one i mean this you know the first concert had one composer the second concert had two composers and our third concert had three composers so by the time we get to this one kaiji crescendo we had the most variety of music to hear the sato stuff live in concert was a revelation for me i I think it goes without saying I'm a little bit of a Akira Ifube nut, but I love Masaru Sato. And to hear that music in concerts, especially with John and, and Vinny's great arrangements of it, it just sounded so rich. It, it, it brought new life to, you know, this was already good music that sounded as, as good as I've ever heard it. I uh, definitely want to say, as, like, like on my end and, I loved doing the Rodan suite, but I, I'm having a hard time choosing which one, at least as far as uh, on my side of the uh, the concert. The Son of Godzilla suite kind of really did it for me. Like I was, I was so happy with that because I love that music and I love that movie. I, I think Son of Godzilla is the most underrated Godzilla movie. Preach! Seriously, <laughs> it's one of Let's, them for sure. I love it like, too. Have you guys ever done an episode about Son of Godzilla? We did a commentary a couple years ago. Yeah, we I'm I'm like a I'm a, I'm just I love that movie. I've always been a fan of it since I was a kid and uh it's and it's funny because um not that the story really matters but my uh, my girlfriend and my mother actually flew out for the concert and they were sitting up there and um my girlfriend was like, you know, you know, when you did Son of Godzilla, your mom leaned over. She's like, is this the one for the baby Godzilla? Because my mom, <laughs> my mom remembered that, like the the Minya theme, like you know, in the opening credits and stuff. Yeah. So, uh, Mr. Sato, I mean, we, you know, we 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 sing the praises of uh, Mr. Ifukuba, but Mr. Sato, uh, I mean, his legacy as far as Godzilla music is is pretty solid. Just and even as a film composer himself, I mean, obviously. Just with his work with Kurosawa, but in and the over three hundred some scores that he's done. Well, I, well I, I have to say because I was I was sitting up in in a box actually with John's girlfriend and mother, and immediate you know immediately when the Sato music begins, the Son of Godzilla. This was mentioned earlier. The atmosphere in the hall just completely changed. I was because I was constantly looking down into the 
into the uh, seats below me. I was looking behind me up into the uh, into the balcony. And you just saw people started swaying with the music and kind of rocking out. It was, and in fact, because I've been very lucky to hear the raw audio, and that's something John should also mention too, that we had, we have the same sound engineer working on this recording. So if you've heard the uh, oh, and that's for, for 100 and for Symphonic Fury, Dan Nichols, he's back. But in the raw audio, once the, uh, the, the Minya music, starts getting going in Son of Godzilla, you can actually hear people in the audience begin to laugh. And it's not because it's funny, necessarily. I think it's just, it's such a... It's it's, joyous. It's it's joyous. The shift in the music is so, so, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Well, you go from this... You go yeah. from this this solemn like requiem, like I said before in in Rodan, and then you're going into this this upbeat, just kind of we're in the '60s right now, and this is '60s Godzilla, and this is just an enjoyable thing. Yeah, and, but uh, you're right, and, and people are just swaying and they're they're nodding their heads, and you can see people tapping their feet to the music, and I I just loved it because just you know visually, I could see from my little perch up there that people were just getting into the music and they were really enjoying hearing Sato's music live in the concert. Well, it's a, it's a movie I've always loved. Um, and music I've always enjoyed too. And, and, and that alone has its, has its, uh, appeal for me. And then also, um, it's something where when my kids were both starting to walk, I, um, took little videos I take I had taken of them learning to walk and paired it with uh, the Mina theme yeah and it fits extremely well with uh, with infants attempting to learn to walk um, and so then that brings another level of just smile and, and and enjoyment of it to my to my mind every time I hear that music too so yeah it was a it was it was definitely uh, one of the one of the kind of really cooler parts of the of the of the concert now i know that the john and i are are the guests on this particular episode but i'd like to turn the tables a little bit and each and ask each one of you guys tom kyle and matt what were your favorite parts of the concert <laughs> that was actually like was the question, question we were gonna ask you guys next so <laughs> okay yeah uh, uh it's, you guys go first yeah. Well, it's that's a hard question. Like my favorite suite was probably the Mysterians. Um, oh God, that was good. Uh-huh. My favorite moment might have been the King Caesar song. Like I said, I mean, once the beat comes in, and once you saw the vocalist walking up to the mic, it's like I got chills. And then <laughs> the most exciting for me was probably Godzilla in Chicago. Just being with that. You know, Oshima is one of my favorite Godzilla composers, and, you know, just being with a new piece of music and, you know, just listening to it unfold was just amazing. So, I mean, it's really a toss-up between the three. And she wrote it for you. She wrote it for all you guys. Yeah. So between those three, it's really hard for me to pick just one, but those are the three that pop into my head when I think of that concert. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm pretty close to that. I mean, um, you know, I mean the 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 King Caesar song, and and not even just the song, but um, the ovation that that Megan got, and and the genuine um, joy 
and humility you could see in her face um, at getting, you know, such a, a, a amazing reception. Like that's a moment from that concert that that definitely sticks out in my mind. Um, just how how thrilled she looked. Um, I I really really loved hearing the uh, hearing uh, Michiru's um, Godzilla theme the second time, oh. and the entire crowd clapping along. <laughs> um, yeah. That that was really awesome, and the the way the the crowd was clapping along to the beat of the drum for her to show up, it, it felt very. That was not supposed to happen, by the way. <laughs> That felt very much like a uh, like a crowd willing the the headliner to come to the stage. You know, it's like a rock concert. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I think I think one I think my favorite uh, piece of music from it, and it's it's weird to say this because I mean it's a piece of music that we've all heard tens of thousands of times by now, but. Just the the Godzilla theme to kick mm. it off. I mean, I know it's like a thing that you you have to do. Uh, you know you're gonna hear it if you're going to a Godzilla Symphony. It's gonna be there, and yet it still took my breath away because it was. Oh, you, ne- you I, never get tired of that one. And no. it was a way that I had never experienced that theme personally before. To 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 see it and hear it live with a full orchestra, um, and it it. You know, it just it kicked off a high for me that lasted the next two hours. Uh, I just echo kind of what what these guys have already said. But the the King Caesar theme, we were all looking at each other like, are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? And sure enough, the vocalist stands up and then she starts singing. And it's just I don't know that that moment, like I felt like the the hairs on my neck standing and I'm, I'm just like blown away by it. And I have a confession. I never liked that song in the movie. It always as a kid, Ooh. like. I fast forward that that moment. Like, <laughs> no, and then I hear it. But I, you, if well, you like it, music it, and you hear it, something it also, live, like it just does something different to you. And live, that moment was just incredible. It really it, was. It also helps that, and and this seems to be a prevalent opinion, but um, Megan's kind of a better singer than the than the one in the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I mean, by, by by kind of I mean a lot. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that definitely helps. But just everything about that moment was was honestly breathtaking. And the cool thing was it was a moment that I was not expecting, right? I was expecting the Godzilla theme when I got that. Another thing that I loved was the, the clapping and the, the new uh, yeah. theme that Oshima wrote because those were two great moments. Eric, go for it. Gosh, it's it's hard for me to, to, to respond to this. I, I feel kind of guilty for asking a question that I myself really can't answer. Um, I, I have a real, real soft spot for the Rodan score. I think that that is one of Yves Kube's best film scores, period. Not just genre scores, but film scores. I love the main titles. I, I love everything about that score. Uh, again, hearing the Sato stuff, as I mentioned earlier, hearing that live, it just... The, the 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 richness of of that music hearing it live is just something that you can't get on those recordings so that was really quite a thrill to hear that um, birth of Japan obviously I was happy about that because I lobbied for it I think it's a great score 
The Mysterians was pretty damn perfect. I was absolutely blown away by the Mogera theme that opens that suite. The the low woodwinds and the low brass on the uh, the, the tunnel collapse is act or the was that was that the uh, tunnel collapse is the first cue and then we go into the main Mogera theme. Yeah, right, right. Which is the the main Mogera theme is a variation of the tunnel collapse. It's um. Uh, that music has never sounded better. And of course, uh, Nichiru's stuff was, was great too. I, I absolutely loved Godzilla in Chicago. I thought that was a very beautiful piece of music and listening back, you know, when she does at the, at the end of the concert, the, the G theme, the Godzilla theme with everybody clapping, you know, listening back to it, it's actually quite effective to hear the audience, um, participating in, in, in getting that persistent bum, 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 bum. Bum, bum, bum. You know, this, this, this repeated rhythm of the audience is getting into it. You can feel the energy of the audience as as they're literally playing along with the orchestra. Uh, it, it's, well, it's, yeah, for, for, well, th- there it is, our biggest orchestra. We had about uh, over 500 more people join us. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so when you hear that and, and you know, when once the recording is out and, and you all can hear it back, it's it just – that audience participation, it just it adds a real exciting element. You can just feel the love from the audience as they're able in their own little way to play along with the orchestra. And Mitri was conducting, and several times she turned around to the audience to to lead them, to conduct them. And yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's impossible for me to answer that question. If uh, the, the whole damn thing was just was just excellent, like I said earlier, I think of the three. In many ways, this was the best one. Uh, my my favorite moment was being able to work with her, uh, just being able to bring her out there, um, have her do her music and, and conduct it. Uh, that was it. It was it was it was a dream come true for me because, you know, it's like you know we started this, uh, you know we're 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 doing this we're doing this concert in 2014. Next year we have Kotani come out just as a guest and then. Here we have, you know, Michiro Oshima just right in your face, right up there with her baton, conducting her music. That was my favorite part. My favorite part was literally walking up into the box and sitting down and watching her perform and just kind of looking down. Like, cause I, like you, Eric, I was kind of looking down. I just wanted to see what people were kind of, uh, you know, like what they were like, if they were enjoying themselves. So yeah, easily just working with her and being able to just have that honor of, of sharing the stage with her. Cause I didn't deserve that, but it's amazing to think that, yeah, I got to do that with, with a composer who I respect um, and just whose music I enjoy. And I'm just so thrilled and happy that we were able to bring her music like that to to a live audience and, and, and she was and and she was thrilled too because she she genuinely loves godzilla she really wanted to do this for the fans and she had a great time too didn't she uh yes she did yes she uh she really 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 enjoyed uh the reception she got mm-hmm. i think at times it's fair to say that she wasn't sure how it was going to go over uh just because you know, like, because we had, we talked a lot about like logistics and stuff, and like she was worried about like how late we were starting. And I said, well, you know, it's because people at the convention, there, you know, you have the costume parade here. We want to give them time. But I said, 
do not worry. These people stay up late. They're going to they're gonna come and they're going to be energized for this. And they were. And it, it was great. And uh, I got a lot of good feedback from her just based on everything that, that happened. She, she was happy that everybody came out and supported. And um, like I said, that, that, was, that was the best part for me as far as just my personal enjoyment. But I do want to quickly go back because I forgot to mention earlier, but you mentioned it, Eric. I loved conducting the Mogera theme. Mm. <laughs> I loved doing the Mogera theme. It, Why? It, 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 it's just badass. <laughs> it's, it, it's like, it, it's this great. Um, uh, so th- there's a couple things and just not, not to get too like musically technical, but like uh, um, I had said to the musicians ahead of time, because if you look at the sheet music, there's a lot of like minor seconds uh, intervals, like, uh, okay, for instance, like, um, the basses might be doing like, uh, let's say like, uh, like F to F sharp or whatever. And like the piano is doing kind of like a, like a minor second, like, um, E and E flat to right. F and E kind of thing. And they're, they're doing like these oscillating kind of ostinatos against the bum, 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 bum. And it's, it sounds like it, like it could be wrong, but I'm like, uh, I, I said to them like, no, this is how the music is written. Uh, he's just kind of trying to do this this off-sounding stuff for this subterranean robot, and um, it was just fun to hear that. It was fun to hear that come together, and I loved hearing uh, the brass kind of do that. Like, yeah, my God, it was it was so much fun. I had I had so much fun. Like I said, like during during my first half, but. My my enjoyment really came when I got to sit down and watch Oshima. So this is probably a question that you might not even know the answer to yet, but would you do a fourth one? Would you like to do a fourth one? Is there any desire at the moment to do a fourth one? There is always going to be a desire to do more concerts. Um, I don't ever want to do a Kickstarter again. Uh, I said that after the last one, but it did, they're a lot of work. They are a lot of work. It takes usually over a year of your life away to kind of accomplish that. Um, as far yeah, as just people kind don't of like, realize how much work actually goes it, into it, these it's, it's insane. Um, as far as just if I were able to just do do a fourth, yeah, I would I would get up there and and do this music anytime if if the circumstances were all good. Yeah. Absolutely. So how is, you've been talking about the Kickstarter and some things going, um, how is the mixing process going for the actual CDs and the digital downloads and stuff that are be, that'll be coming out? Well, like I said, we've, uh, we have the raw mix. Uh, Dan already exported that to us. And um, I'm, I'm only working on, I'm making notes on my half. I'm letting Michiru kind of just work, like she's going to, mix her half the way she wants it and that's kind of one of the advantages to why i, I kind of gave us a long time like you know obviously the, the the delivery date for the rewards is spring or may of, of 2020 that's just because of again learning lessons in the last two times but um you know i just want to be able to kind of say okay here's here's a round of notes go ahead and then dan will make the adjustments send me a new mix listen to it because you know you're going to hear stuff each time 
then I, I want Michu to have enough time to, to be able to do her mix as well. So yeah, we're, that's kind of where we're at right now. We're actually actively just kind of starting to get our notes together about how we want things to be balanced and mixed in our, in our stuff. I'm enjoying the uh, the clips that have surfaced online of the concert, and, and yeah. I know you guys are shared from the page and whatnot. So it's, it's it's fun to be able to hear little snippets of what's coming. Believing the oh. raw audio is 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 very good. The the recording engineer Dan Nichols, again, he's the guy that did the first two CDs, and he'll be doing this one. This guy is top notch. He's yeah. I mean, I, these, I, these are I, I, these are audiophile quality recordings. Yeah, I I do think yeah we because we did mention Dan, but I I, I want to go back and kind of really give him some props and put him over because um, and again you know because I keep coming uh, you you asked before what are lessons you learn uh, Dan and I kind of like talked ahead of time about okay what did we do right and wrong the last couple of times how are we gonna do this this time and we had a streamlined process and I think. Um, I think this recording quality, like like what we got this time, is going to be the best recording of the three. I, I think the concert's the best of the three. The performance was the best, um, and that 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 only happens because of experience. You know, like a lot of times, even like if you have a negative experience, like you you just kind of learn these things. You learn how to do stuff better. But Dan Nichols can't say enough about him. Uh, great great recording engineer. Um, he's a very in demand guy out there in Illinois, and. Uh, uh, well, not just in Illinois. I mean, he does stuff all. He, he's kind of all over the place. But uh, you know, he's just just a great, wonderful guy. Love working with him. Uh, I'm so happy he was back. Can't say enough good about him. Um. So now for the album version, are you planning on having CDs and digital downloads for sale for people that missed out on the Kickstarter like last time? CDs, yes. Digital downloads. Probably not. The digital da- there will be a digital version for for all the backers, uh, but you have to you have to like buy the rights to do that. So mm. yeah, and I I kind of want to do it for the backers. I want to uh, or I not want to, but I'm going to uh, offer them a lossless version. So you can have the physical copy, but you're also going to get to be able to download a lossless, uh, uncompressed version of the music. So. Um, but yeah, the C- yeah, there, there will be CDs for sale afterwards for sure. Hmm. Well, I'm I'm going to see um, Symphony and Metallica in September, and uh, they got their work <sighs> cut out for them after Damn this. It. So <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, I, I it sucks. I mean, I, I that's awesome that you're doing that, but man, it just it would have been so nice if Michael came and would would still be around because uh, I I love the original Symphony Metallica, the S and M. Um, and I love I loved Michael Kamen as a as a uh, composer and uh, conductor as well. It's just it's a real shame he's not around for that. But I hope you enjoy that. Yeah. Um, so we've been we've been talking for a, a while now, but and we're probably winding down. But I did want to talk about the uh, the Reiko uh, Patrick um, doing oh, yes. concert a little bit. Um, you know where where did this where did this idea come from and, and how did the, what was the genesis of this because I mean this this isn't something that has ever happened at a, a G Fest really that it, I know it, of. What year was it? It was like two thousand two thousand seven. It was two thousand seven. So Reiko Yamada is a concert pianist, internationally acclaimed concert pianist, who was a former student of Akira Eve Kube when she 
attended the Tokyo College of Music in the 1980s. She attended four years of his composition seminars, even though she was a piano student. She became very close to the composer as well as the composer's wife. In 2007, because um, she lives in Chicago, which is very convenient, I... She actually lives not far from the North Shore Center, which is funny. Yeah, that's 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 actually true. So in 2007, because she lived so close to the convention, I helped arrange for her to... Because back in those days, there was a, a piano at the Crown Plaza Hotel. They had an in-house it piano. Was, yeah, it was a, yeah, I remember that one. It was not a very good piano. She said that some of the, the keys were actually broken on it, and you know she didn't really know that until she actually came to play it. It, it, it was essentially a glorified pub piano. That's really what it was. Yeah, it was a piano in pretty bad shape, but at the time there was a piano there, and I, even though I could not attend that G-Fest, I, I helped arrange for her to perform some of Akira Ifkube's classical piano works. So she, I don't know, it was probably about an hour-long performance, and she you know, did the best she could with that piano. But that was back in 2007. Um, yeah, so she's recorded several... Uh, CDs of Akira Ifukube's piano music, and on two of those CDs, she's collaborated with another pianist, Patrick Godin, who himself is a very acclaimed pianist. He's actually currently the principal keyboard for the Chicago Symphony, which is a pretty big That's deal. That's a big deal. That's a pretty big deal. He's a very talented guy. And I, I, I was able, you know, the first time I went to Japan, I actually traveled with Patrick, Reiko and her husband, Shikatoshi, up in Hokkaido. So, so Patrick and I go, go way back several years. Anyway, they're, they're both in Chicago, and they both have experience, a lot of experience performing this music. And it was really John's idea that um, although there, are no, there is no longer a piano on site at the Crown Plaza, John had this rather uh, grand idea to rent two pianos, have them delivered to the to the convention so Reiko and Patrick could perform an hour's worth of the maestro's music. So the the, the credit to this goes to John for for organizing this. It was really his brainchild. Well, I mean, I think we, we wanted to do something with Reiko as far as like at least the presentation. And I just thought, well, it made sense to kind of maybe see if we can get her to perform. And and yeah, uh, Reiko asked me what pieces should be performed because there are two piano arrangements done for each of the symphonic fantasias. And there's also the two piano arrangement of this piece, Ritmica O Sonata, that, that Tom mentioned at the start of the, the show here. And I said to her, well, you know, I think you should somehow work Ritmica O Sonata into the, the set. You know, this is, again, you like me talking to John about it, including Birth of Japan. Because I said, you know, it, it's something that the vast majority of the people in the audience won't know, but it's still totally Akira Ifkube. So it's it'll be at the same time new music, but music that they're already familiar with, and I really want them to have an experience, not only hearing the stuff that they know and love, but hearing something new. So she said, yeah, that sounds great. So she she and Patrick elected to open with Ritmica Ostinata, which, by the way, is an extremely difficult piece to perform. So they they wanted to do a program that went from hardest to easiest, so they could start <laughs> off, you know, with the most energy, uh, doing the hardest one. So they did uh, Ritmica Ostinata, 
which is arranged, which was arranged for two pianos by Akira Ifukube himself. And then they went into Symphonic Fantasia number three, which was arranged not by the composer, but by a fellow called Satoshi Imai. Satoshi Imai was Akira Ifukube's personal secretary and assistant pretty much up until the time of his death. And, by the way, he's the one that you actually hear conducting on all of the Heisei-era scores that Akira Ifukube composed. So Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. Godzilla vs. Mothra, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, and Godzilla vs. Destroyer. When you hear those recordings, it's not Yves Kube conducting, it's actually this fellow Satoshi Imai conducting. So Imai was the one who personally did the two-piano arrangement of Symphonic Fantasia No. 3. And then Symphonic Fantasia No. 1 was arranged for two pianos by another composer, Motoji Ishimaru, who himself was also a student of Yves Kube. So the, the progression went from the most difficult piece to perform to the easiest. And it fit in very well. It, it the, the 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 set had to be about an hour long. It ended up being about exactly that. And uh, I was very gratified to see that the the entire ballroom was was filled. Every seat was taken. You had people standing in the back. You had people standing against the walls. I felt very good for both Patrick and Reiko because, you know, y- y- you don't know how many people are going to want to attend something like this, but I was very gratified. There was quite a bit of buzz about it going on. And, um, I mean, I don't know if that was just because I was hanging out with, you know, the, the, the birds and the mats and, you know, the, the, these kind of guys who are, you know, more, more plugged in, uh, a little bit more knowledgeable, you know, kind of, you know, like I, at least I am. Um, and, and just, you know, you get kind of, surrounded then by more people like that and so you just think that there's a buzz but i i even you know one morning as i was i think it was saturday morning it might have even it might have been sunday morning um as i was standing in line waiting for my for my breakfast that morning i heard you know a, a i think i think it was this, the the morning of uh a dad talking to his son oh, you really want to go to that and you know i kind of turned around and was like listen like this is a this is a a once in a in a lifetime or you know once in a rare moon opportunity for for, for you know you guys to to be able to see someone that studied directly under Ifukube and uh was one of his you know top students play uh some of his music and um I was like and in a in a situation too where it's going to be just two pianos you know instead of a full symphony is like it's going to be something that you know is very unique and the dad was like, all right, sold. I'm there. So, um, well, well, thank you very much because I'm, I'm glad that you, you convinced him because yeah, you know, it's, I think know, two pianos, lot- classical music, you know, do, do people at, at G fest, you know, can, or not, not just as G fest, but, but can, can the average person, you know, really find, something interesting about that compelling enough to make them to, to want to go see it. Because I mean, there's, there's many, many, many other things that people could have been doing could have been in the dealer's room. They could have been at another panel. They could have been going out to get Giordano's pizza or whatever. So I was very, like I said, gratified to see that it was a full house. And by the way, now that I think about it, I hadn't thought about this before. I think it actually would have been the, the first time, Anywhere in the world that the two piano version of Symphonic Fantasia Number no. Three was performed, um, I don't think that 
Patrick and Reiko. No, they wouldn't have. They so that was actually that's something that didn't dawn on me until just this moment that that was that actually, was another world premiere. Yeah, that was actually a world premiere, <laughs> the world premiere performance of Mystery Mai's arrangement for Symphonic Fantasia for two for two pianos. So yeah, and and I was gonna say just live music in general when you just get to see passionate performers, uh, if you can get to do that, no matter what it is, uh, I think you should take advantage of that. No, that. How was, did she play uh, that without? She played. She played that piece without sheet music in front of her too. That that blew me that away. That was crazy. That was oh, yeah. rhythmic ghost and not Well, yeah, it's her, she's, it's her yeah. signature piece, right? Yeah, it is. And um, you know, the there's something that's that's very interesting about that because she visited with Mr. Reef Kube to prepare for a her first ever live performance with an orchestra. She visited Mr. Reef Kube in, I think it was around September of 2005. She was going to perform that piece for the first time with the um, with an orchestra in a town called Utsunomiya, which is just outside of Nikko, where she's from. And Mr. Reef Kube, although very elderly and quite frail at the time, was going to attend that performance that she was preparing for. And unfortunately, uh, the composer died several months before the actual performance was supposed to take place. Um, but that piece has become her calling card. She has performed it several times in Utsunomiya with that, that orchestra. She's performed it twice with the Tokyo Symphony. She, was, uh, she performed it with the Tokyo Symphony in 2014 at the composer's official 100th anniversary concert. She performed it with the same ensemble two years later in 2016 for a concert to commemorate the 10th anniversary of the composer's death. I was there for that as well. Uh, She performed the American premiere of the piece with the Kalamazoo Symphony Orchestra. She loves this music. She loves Akira Ifkube. And, you know, very much like myself and John, who wants to make this music better known, throughout the world that's that's her project as well it's an excellent piece and uh it's a very difficult piece but she was able to memorize it um and it's about 20 you know a little over 20 minutes of very very difficult music to perform in fact i i I do want to say that like when we were at her house on sunday and she showed me the score yeah um and she's like maybe one day you'll conduct it i'm like no no, this is insane. Like I'm looking at these time signatures. I'm like, this is like what, what the what the hell was he thinking? Like this is insane. This is great, but oh my god, like it's it's really an insane piece. It's 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 a crazy crazy piece. Well, and the thing is too is that it's not only is it difficult in terms of you know mastering the time signatures and everything, it's very physically demanding. Whenever she has a performance of it in Japan, you know the baseball player Ichiro. She she goes to Japan. Ichiro. And, yep. Yeah, and she she goes to Japan and trains with Ichiro's trainer. To you know, physical training. She says that in order to play the piece, you have to have very strong arms and a very strong back. Otherwise, you can't play it. So she goes and trains with the baseball player Ichiro's trainer to develop uh, her her upper body, you know, her, her, the muscles in her arms and also in her back to be able just to, 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 to play the piece. 
I can't think of very many piano pieces, piano pieces where you need to, uh, <laughs> you know, do, uh, uh, physical, uh, you know, uh, physical training like that to play it. That's how intense it is. So it's not only physically very draining, but as John is mentioning, in terms of the, 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 the music itself, the, the, the time signatures and the unusual meters and everything, it's extremely demanding. So, um, yeah, Reiko, and she's tiny. You put her on that little piano bench, and she's like a little firecracker. It's like she she channels the the energy of of Godzilla or something into her body to be able to play this piece. It's really quite a rare treat to to see that. And I I, I sincerely hope that the people at G Fest that did attend her concert uh, can uh, fully appreciate what they were able to witness because it was definitely something very special. Yeah, when she, when she tried to, when she sat down at first and then had to spend like two minutes cranking the, the seat up. <laughs> um, yeah, if, yeah, exactly. If, the position had to be just right. If you're li- if you're listening to this, and this is the second time I'm going to recommend, go out and find that piece of music and listen to it. I, I said that on our G-Fest wrap-up episode, and I'm saying it again. You can find it on Spotify. There's a version on Amazon Prime. I'm sure they're probably yeah, not I, the best um, you know on, possible versions yeah, of it but on like apple music if you look up reiko yamada there's uh akira fukube works for piano volume one um mm-hmm. it's the last track on there that's right and that's actually the the live re- live recording of the uh the first time she played it that was the performance that the composer himself was going to attend but had, had unfortunately died um go listen to it it's awesome yeah no that i mean that was that piano sh- concert was just amazing um before we ha- cuz i think we're i think that's about all we we got on our end before we head out though i mean outside of godzilla i'm going to have ask you to recommend um some music for someone to go check out whether it's um a ballet or you know anything that you feel like is especially good that people want to you know dip their toes in outside of the film music well i'll tell you what if you go to youtube and this is the beauty of the internet uh cuz it's all out there you know uh virtually um if you go to youtube and just type in the composer's name you know you'll see a lot of the the film scores you all know what those you all know what those scores are, but um, a lot of his classical pieces are out there too. I mean, if you like the the grand the, the grandeur and the bombast of the the kaiju scores, there's there's any number of pieces that I could recommend. There's the Symphonia Concertante for piano and orchestra, which was written in 1941, a very thrilling piece. There's a Ballata Symphonica, which was written in 1943. There is uh, the composer's first piece, Japanese Rhapsody, which was written in 1935. Uh, if you remember the Odo Island exorcism scene from the first uh, Godzilla film in 54, the little melody that plays repeatedly during that scene is actually sourced from the piece I just mentioned, Japanese Rhapsody. There is the ballet score Salome, S like Sam, A L. O-M, like Mary E. Salome, of course, is a story from the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, Mr. Ifkube wrote an amazing ballet score based on the story. It has some of his most intense music that he's ever written. So if you like that 
that rhythmic drive and just that that intensity of his kaiju scores. This ballet, Salome, based on a biblical story, has has that in spades. Yeah, just uh, just explore. And then there's the lighter side too. You know, there's uh, Fantasia for Baroque lute, uh, piece uh, which is a as the the name of the uh, the title implies, it's a it's a piece of music written for a, a solo Baroque lute. There's various pieces written for solo classical guitar, so you get a little bit of the more gentle side of of the composer. But uh, YouTube is a great resource. Go out there, and this is this is something that I that I advocate very strongly because again, I myself started off as a fan of the Godzilla scores, and then when I learned that this man had written a bunch of other scores for the concert hall nothing to do with film you know you think oh classical music ballets that sounds like stuffy elitist kind of stuff don't let don't let that nomenclature fool you the man wrote music just as intense and as exciting and as thrilling for his cla- for his concert works as he did for the kaiju scores so if you like the kaiju scores there's a whole world out there that you can discover and uh, I do hope you do, because there's a lot of good stuff out there, and YouTube has quite a bit of it, so there's no excuse not to not to go out and explore it. Uh, I will um, kind of, uh, you know, exit with some, some plugs here. First of all, uh, if you want to know more about Ifuku Bay the man and his methods, um, I would suggest going back to our episode from August 12th, 2017, where we had Eric and John uh, on for a more biographical episode about the composer. Um, Also, keep your eyes uh, peeled because we will also be putting up the panel that uh, John and Eric and Patrick Galvin and Tyler Martin and Reiko Yamada uh, participated in after the concert. We uh, will have that up. So that's some stuff that you can check out. Of course... Uh, Eric's exhaustive bio on Ifukube is available online, akiraifukube.org. I stumbled across um, Rhythmic Games for Children, and I yes. know exactly based on what that, it's just kind of very like a simplified down type of thing, but I think it's like great as like just kind of like kind of light background music. Um, and, and and a lot of a lot of kaiju themes actually come from that. It's a piece of music that was written in 1949. It was the the name of the piece is Rhythmic Games for Children. Uh, the composer was hired by the Japanese government to write uh, simple r- rhythmic music that could accompany uh, the movements of children so they could exercise. the 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 concept was that this music would be recorded on records. And in schools, teachers would play the records and children would dance and move to the rhythms of the music to get them to exercise. And uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of kaiju themes come come from this score. Actually, I mean, for example, da 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 da. You know that comes from that piece in 1949. Also. I was gonna say, I, I I love what pitch sounds like at one forty one in the morning. Wait, where at least where I'm at, it's one forty one in the morning. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Luciano Pavarotti, I am not, but uh, <laughs> but 
but yeah, you know, so this is a piece of music written in 1949 where you can hear the origin of a lot of the uh, of a lot of these familiar kaiju themes. So that might be one to uh, check out as well. Huh. All right. Well, um, uh, I already said akirafukube.org is where you can find the official website and the bio. Other than that, I mean, where can people find you guys on social media, uh, the Twitters, Facebooks, whatever? The Twitters. <laughs> the Twitters. Where, where Twitters, are you? Twitters? The Google uh, machine. <laughs> I'm. You can if if you uh, on on Facebook akiraifkube.org. I'm on Facebook and also on Twitter akiraifkube.org. So just uh, just look me up. I'm. I'll, I'll see you on the Twitters. Yes. <laughs> uh, just. My name, uh, John DeSantis on, on Twitter, on uh, on Instagram, and uh, <laughs> if you, you're probably already my friend on Facebook or you've blocked me already, so it's one or the other. <laughs> uh, all right, well, uh, guys, thanks again. I mean, it's always uh, nice to, to chat with you guys, and uh, yeah, it was really fun to get some yep. insight into, um, you know, the, the just these concerts, and of course, the music that these great composers have, have given us. Um, so thanks again. Thank you. It's thanks for having us. It's always right. a pleasure. All right. Yeah, well, always, uh, always yeah. great. All right. Well, good night, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure subscribe for all the latest episodes you can also check us out on twitter at kt underscore podcast you can check us out on instagram and facebook at kaiju transmissions and you can email us at kaiju transmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments and we will see you next time